Welcome to In Focus, a production from Cronkite News. I'm your host, Taya Francesca Price. In this episode, we'll be learning what it's like to grow up legally blind in Arizona. Seeing blindness even when you're born blind sometimes is really difficult. There are about 165,000 people who are visually impaired and living in Arizona, but vocation and rehabilitation resource centers are not well dispersed across the state. It took a while to actually find resources that would like teach me actual life skills. It wasn't until I was like in my sophomore or junior year of high school. Today, we hear the stories of two community college students living in Arizona with very little sight. And afterwards, as it's the final episode of our first season, we'll be catching up with the InFocus podcast producers to discuss their work over the past few months. But first, Danica Borges brings us our feature story. Iris Bella is 20 years old and was born blind. Her parents took her to an eye specialist when she was two months old to figure out why she wasn't focusing in any particular direction. She was diagnosed with something called optic nerve hypoplasia and astigmatism. Optic nerve hypoplasia is a genetic condition in which the optic nerve is underdeveloped. Astigmatism causes blurred vision because of the curvature of the cornea. My eye specialist at that time recommended us to the Foundation for Blind Children, and that's how I found out about that. They taught me a lot of things, but growing up, you know, I never really had a cane. I never really, you know, what I used to move around. I saw people with canes, so I knew what it was, but I never really actually was given one for myself. Her preschool and elementary school didn't teach her how to read Braille. It just kind of was like a struggle growing up without that stuff because I would have to use like 40-sized print, which would be like a lot of volumes of books. It wasn't until high school when she truly started learning how to manage her disability. A study done in 2006 by the American Printing House for the Blind showed that only 10% of people who are blind can read Braille. Then when I started getting into high school, you know, I wanted to, you know, get those services that would help me get a cane or learn how to read Braille, just become more independent. They help you with kind of accommodations, so they did introduce me to some things, but I didn't get to learn everything that I wanted to because I would only see that person for, like, once a month. She told me about um, RSA, which is like vocational rehabilitation services that Arizona has. SAVI, the Southern Arizona Association for the Visually Impaired, is the resource center Iris found best met her needs. They offer a summer program for students who have completed their first year of high school, but Iris didn't hear of it until her junior year. I had a full ride to Arizona State University, but I gave it up because throughout my life, like I said before, I didn't, I didn't have Braille. I didn't have all those things, so I knew that it would be difficult for me to, you know, be successful in school without those resources, so I decided to stay. They taught me how to use ZoomText, which is like a magnifier program in the computers, like color contrast, you can do all that. It reads to you. I learned RT, which is kind of like rehab training. It's like independent living skills, so how to cook, how to sew. Also mobility, which they taught me how to cross the street. Iris' experience is not uncommon. 19-year-old Elijah Harris is another student at Pima Community College who is blind and struggled with school growing up. I went to a public school. I had a lot of issues going there because, like, they threw me into a special education class because I was blind. They thought I wasn't able to read anything that they provided because I, just because, like, I couldn't read it because of the size. Like, they didn't really understand my blindness. Like, they just assumed that I couldn't read at all. In high school, Elijah had a VI, which is an aid for the visually impaired. His VI told him about Savvy and decided to check it out for himself. 
Mobility instructors at Savvy gave Elijah and Iris white canes, and they both say using the cane has changed how they view themselves. He recommended that I used it because he saw that I was like bumping into walls all the time and just like not noticing stuff in front of me. And when I started using the cane, I noticed that it really did help because I was no longer running into walls or like bumping into people. And it saves me the embarrassment of doing that. It's just kind of a thing that I kind of like had to um, kind of like adapt to or just, you know, be okay with. Um, to be able to be like, I am a blind person, and I do use a cane, I do use Braille. And in high school, it was just kind of like, you know, the high school thing where you don't want to stand out because people will look at you differently. And it always will happen, even if you have your cane or not. Elijah and Iris are both attending Pima Community College with plans to eventually obtain their master's degrees. My education is really important. So I'm studying to be a special education teacher and then later on being a teacher for the visually impaired. They've kind of like opened doors to like being able to reach my full potential with my education and know that I can, you know, be, I'm a blind student, but I could do the same work that everybody else can do and just, you know, succeed like everybody else. Most colleges have a disability resource center. Some colleges even provide transportation to and from classes for students and faculty. O and M refers to orientation and mobility. Both students have an O&M instructor available when they ask for help getting around. I know that the U of A does, they have kind of like a shuttle kind of thing that takes you to your classes. Um, but, you know, I just really don't want to rely on, you know, taking a shuttle everywhere. So that's why I asked for O&M time, so with my mobility instructor. And I learned where everything is on campus. So really for me, there's no uh, reason to take it because I know how to get to my classes. I asked Iris and Elijah what they think could be done to help the blind community. I think educating other people about blindness is really important and that's something that we're you know working on uh, as a blind community and also you know being a teacher for the visually impaired I think it's you know being with the blind community and educating um, not educating just you know being able to teach younger blind students. They are equal to their peers no matter what people say. So that's what I would focus on, like just like the communication like in public school about vendors that help the blind community. It's just about like educating people and telling them what blindness is really about, how you can do everything everybody else can do. And it's not just, it's not blindness what defines you. Throughout the first season of In Focus, we've heard from young Arizonans and the health issues that they faced. With autism and with other sensory processing issues, um, it's sometimes like you don't really know where your body is in space, especially when the anxiety gets up there. And so grounding is like keeping for a little bit, not very long, but I want to say like for the past three months that my left breast was like a little bit harder and a little bit more swollen and tender than the right breast. Um, I've had many, um, for a while I kind you know, of different sorts of hallucinations. I've had hallucinations um, where I've been you know, running through a maze. I've had some sorts of hallucinations where I'm actually just, you know, paralyzed in my bed like you would expect. I was feeling more and more sad all the time and it just harder to like break out of that sadness, I guess, and things just didn't excite me like they used to. And so she noticed it too, and she was the one who kind of pushed me to go and see a counselor at first. Our reporters highlighted their stories and how they confronted their challenges. 
um, getting them people to pair up and, and be like this, be a team together. And they did find a lump in my left breast and I was ultimately relieved and glad I just went in and got it over with. My fears were confirmed on the less. Around like July and August is when I started telling people that I was gay. And ever since then, it's just been so much better. Obviously, my entire life has been so much better. And that is definitely one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that everything is temporary. I am now joined by the podcast team. Ben Flores. Hey, Taya. Frita de Naples. Hi, Taya. Brooke Ramos. Hey, Taya. And Danica Borges. Thanks for having us. So first of all, congratulations on your work this past season. Um, I'm curious, what were your highlights of the season, Frisia? Do you want to kick it off? So I would say the highlight for me was definitely just being able to be a part of this first podcast for Cronkite News. Um, it definitely is a really exciting thing to say that you were part of the first of something, and this podcast was just such a cool experience to you know, be able to interview people, come up with stories, produce it. Um, just the whole experience was definitely a highlight for me. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It was really cool to be part of, like she said, the first of something. Um, also, I think another highlight would just be kind of, you know, being here now in the position that we are, just looking back um, and just seeing the, all the improvements. And I can definitely put a podcast episode together a lot faster. Um, and it sounds a lot better and it's better quality. So that's something great. Yeah, it feels pretty cool to be a Cronkite News podcast pioneer. And uh, highlight for me has to probably be just to meet so many cool people out there with all these different stories, just getting their perspectives and letting me in and uh, interview them, give out these great stories. So for me, a highlight would definitely be getting our first podcast out there um, and to work together as a team for the inaugural year for Cronkite podcasts um, is pretty cool. Um, I think as Ben said, like the stories that you hear are just cool and, you know, interesting in themselves. And so I'm wondering if you guys have done any radio work or audio work in the past. Um, and I guess if not, which stories then did you find the most challenging or what was the, the biggest hurdle in, in reporting in this manner? Um, so in the past, I had really only done print. Um, I'd experienced experimented a bit with audio but I hadn't ever done anything like as substantial as a podcast so this was pretty new for me um the biggest challenge I guess aside from learning how to do a podcast was had to be my Planned Parenthood story just because you kind of have to make sure that you're being really unbiased and covering all aspects of it and relying more on statistics and facts and figures over like someone's personal story um so when I had interviewed Amanda in that story and she was telling me about her experience um, I had to remember to go back and double check everything she was saying and get other perspectives and just make sure the reporting was really thorough with that one well first off um yeah I'm print as well so I don't really have an extensive background in audio I did radio for a little while um, but I think the most challenging part was my second episode, just because it was about homeless pregnant women, so super specific, unique uh, community of people. So I think it was really just um, a little bit challenging to find, you know, the resources that are available to them, but then also just find somebody who wanted to be a part of the story. Well, I worked at a radio station, but I only wrote on the website. I didn't have any radio experience at all. So this podcast 
experience is my first ever glimpse at the radio broadcast world and uh but yeah I've, I've really enjoyed it and i've got a great new perspective on this side of production and journalism i've been a part of radio uh before um so the production is is in my mind but i didn't have as much experience with it as i have gotten through um cronkite podcasts um, a challenge for me this season was definitely trying to find sources, as uh, Burke said, that were willing to share their story. And I mean, by the sound of it, you guys had so many different stories and, you know, some quite serious topics. So I'm wondering, what was it that you're going to take away now? Um, what did you learn that maybe surprised you that you weren't expecting to come across? So I would say I was most surprised by I guess just, you know, when you reach out to so many people, especially about sensitive subjects. Um, so my second story is about the foster care system. And I was trying to connect with someone who was older in the foster care system and ask them about like their background and their story. And I was nervous that they wouldn't want to talk to me about that just because it is a sensitive subject. But I connected with a lot of people who are totally willing to help me out and, you know, meet with me and give me all the, you know, kind of the nitty gritty details about their lives, which was really cool and something that surprised me just to see how open they were they would be to be on the podcast and help me out with that. Um, so that was definitely a really great experience to have doing that second story. Uh, yeah, I think I definitely agree with Frisha. Um, I was a little bit surprised about my central character in my second episode, uh, just because she was homeless, pregnant, and she did have a methamphetamine addiction. So I was definitely surprised at how open um, and willing she was to, you know, share the details, even though, you know, they weren't all, you know, great. For my first story, I originally planned to do um, a story about veterans with PTSD and service dogs, but it just kind of played out that it ended up being autism and service dogs. And uh, I had no idea that that was even a thing. And uh, But the treatment methods work, um, especially for Lindsay, and uh, she has a grounding technique, and Casey does wonders for her. Something that surprised me was kind of just my first story was relating to depression and um, physical exercise and you know this guy he was on the edge and he was you know gonna harm himself and he chose not to and found like a healthier way to to heal um, rather than harming himself. Well thank you guys seriously so much for this entire season and I guess for letting me host all of your incredible stories. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm very glad to have worked with you all. Yeah, thanks for helping us thanks. out. Thanks. To leave feedback about this episode, to find out more about the music you heard in this episode, and to hear more from Season 1, visit our website, cronkitenews.azpbs.org podcast. Feel free to connect with us on Twitter, at Cronkite News, or Facebook, at Cronkite News Online. Also, be sure to never miss a new story from InFocus by subscribing on SoundCloud or on iTunes to keep up to date. InFocus is a production of Cronkite News at Arizona PBS from Arizona State University's The Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication. I'm your host, Tara Francesca Price. Thanks for listening. <laughs>